Good morning, real life. It's your weekly televangelist right back at you. It dawned on me we're kind of living like dogs, aren't we? Sneaking around the house looking for scraps, riding in the car as a treat. I feel like everything's reversed. Old people are sneaking out of the house. Kids are saying, get back in here. Saying, Gene, do we, do we need jokes right now? Hey, we either laugh or cry. I don't know about you, but this is hard. It's tiring, isn't it? There's a publication that goes out to pastors. It has a very interesting article that a lot of guys are, are talking about. And it's basically saying, are we without realizing it because we have no choice? Are we training our people to worship at home? If this thing goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks, and you and I both know it's going to go on for a long time, are we without realizing it, making a training? This is the new norm. Churches that have online services like, like Real Life does every Sunday, you can watch it live at home. It's designed for people who might be sick, can't come to church, maybe you're out of town on vacation. But now it's everybody. We're kind of getting used. Maybe you're sitting in your pajamas having a cup of coffee. Are we training you to say, this is how we worship from now on? Even after the all clear, we kind of like staying at home. That's, that's a real fear out there. I have to tell you, I think it's the opposite. I think when the all clear happens, you can't wait to get back here. There's something about community that I miss, something about community that you miss. I'm suspicious that once the all clear is finally told, whenever that happens, we're going to have huge crowds at real life. It's going to be alive. It's going to be active because you can't wait to get back here. Yeah, there's a subtle training going on, and I get it. People are saying, I kind of like worshiping at home, but I really believe you can't wait because you miss it as much as I miss it. But right for now, I'm so thankful for technology. We get to be in the Word together because it's a hard time. As I understand this virus, and I, I'm not one of the experts, you can have it for 14 days and not know you have it. That's the problem. People are out there who have it, who have said, I feel fine. But they have the ability to pass it on to somebody else who then feels fine for two weeks passing it on. If we feel sick, we stay home. The problem is we don't feel sick and we may have the virus. And that's how it's getting passed on at such ridiculous levels. So again, even though we don't like doing this, stay home. Stay home, stay home. Let's get beyond this. Let's get the all clear. Let's get real life and all of our churches back together again. I, I've kicked off with some, with some silliness, but this is serious days. But are these also days that Christ can be calling us closer to him? I, I think maybe we've taken for granted the joy of worshiping together. We'll never take that for granted again. In 40 years of pastoring, I've never done this. Probably you neither. I think it'd be wise, let, let's just begin today with, with a word of prayer together. Father, we continue to pray for our country. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our president. We pray for those that are running the point in the medical field, in all the technology and experimentation, that we finally turn the corner. We pray for those families that are grieving. At this taping, over 4,000 are grieving someone has they've lost someone this incredible virus that is so incredibly contagious. Father, we pray for our church. Pray for real life. We pray for churches all across America. As we gather via TV, that your Holy Spirit would be so active. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. I want to read to you the, the, the greatest trial of all time. The Pilate-Jesus conversation, the Pilate-Jesus trial. It's really in all the Gospels. 
Other gospels bring in more of the conversation, but I just want to give you Mark chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read the first 15 verses. And it is, it is this incredible trial. And straightway in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes of the whole council. They bound Jesus and carried him away to be delivered to Pilate. Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? He answered, Thou sayest. The chief priest accused him of many things, but Jesus answered nothing. Pilate asked him again, saying, Answering thou nothing? Behold all the things the witnesses bring against thee. Jesus yet said nothing. So Pilate marveled. Now at the feast, this is of course the feast of Passover, he realized unto them one, he released unto them one prisoner, whoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that made insurrection against them, and committed, committed murder and, inter, and, and insurrection. The multitude cried aloud, desiring him that had been done to them. But Pilate answered, saying, Who will I release, the king of the Jews? For he knew the chief priests had delivered him before envy. The chief priests moved among the people, that they should release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said unto them, what, what then shall I do with who you call king of the Jews? They cried out, Crucify him. Pilate said, Why? What has he done? And they cried out even more exceedingly, Crucify him. So Pilate, willing to contend the people, this is critical, willing to contend the people, just to please, please the people, release Barabbas, and deliver Jesus to be scored and then to be crucified. There is, yes, more to that conversation. Other, other of, the, of the Gospels give us more. But today, Palm Sunday, the glorious entry into Jerusalem, palm branches, Jesus is coming in to be arrested, taken to Pilate. Palm Sunday praise is going to die out. Palm Sunday parade will be forgotten. Uh, this week is racing to the cross, the drama of all history. Climaxing with his death, third day glorious resurrection, We'll recognize his death, of course, on Friday, the resurrection next Sunday on Easter. The victory of all ages, our Savior is alive. And it all begins with his entry into Jerusalem today. Little does anybody realize, all those praising him with praying branches, he's coming to die. The events lead to the trial of all centuries. And so I want to look at that trial, even on Palm Sunday, because Palm Sunday is about coming into Jerusalem, getting here for this trial. I think it's the most interesting trial of all time. Jesus is coming to die and then raise again on the third day. This is why Palm Sunday happens. He's coming into town for this trial and the execution. Did you ever consider it from the Roman side? Pilate must have groaned. They came to him and said, we have trouble. They are out there and they're protesting. Look at the drama. Now, Pilate typically would govern all of Judea and Samaria, his area, from his palace at Caesarea. This is by the sea. He's got constant Mediterranean breezes. It's beautiful. It's cool. But during the feasts, emperor makes the point that all the governors must be in Jerusalem. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews. They want a Roman presence, even the governor himself. So because of the feast, Pilate is not in Caesarea, in that beautiful palace with the breezes. He's in hot Jerusalem. And even though the Jews had been, had been under the scourge of Rome for decades, they're still troublesome. And we want a large Roman presence. A lot more soldiers are here, and the governors are even here. Pilate hated coming here, Jerusalem. He hated, he felt trapped here. He would toss and turn in his elegant bed. The palace was hot and stuffy. His wife had headaches, terrible dreams. And the palace in Jerusalem 
happened to have a very large courtyard, second floor, where he could come on and address them. Perfect for Pilate. Keep him away from the Jews that he hated. Pilate is a practical politician. That's why he's a governor. He hates the Jews. He hates the mysterious of their religion, their unnamed God. He hates the Jews. He hates their religion. He hates their feasts. He hates their customs. He hates coming here. History tells us he got his hatred out of control. The Romans took money from the Jewish temple to help build the, finance the aqueduct. And the Jews protested. Now Pilate's ticked off. We're building this aqueduct to get water to you. And you're the ones protesting. Well, typical Pilate, he overreacts. In the middle of this protest, soldiers come in and it turns into a riot. It's the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago, only 10 times worse. It is out of control. A lot of the Jews get killed. Pilate, making his point, takes their blood because now we're at the Passover season. He took their blood and he mingled it with the blood of the Passover just to kind of stick it to them. This, is, this becomes gossip all through Judea. In fact, it's interesting. They became to Jesus and said, Jesus, did you hear what happened? It's recorded. Luke 13, verse 1. Look at this carefully. At that time, some people who were there told Jesus Pilate had killed people from Galilee while they were worshiping. And he mixed their blood with the blood of animals that they were sacrificing to God. So this is the rumor. This is the gossip. This is big news, what Pilate had done. So it only amplifies how much they hated Pilate. And there was an evil guy named Sejanus who contacted Pilate after he'd done this and said, Pilate, well done. Now this guy, Lucius Armilius Sejanus, is a very important guy. He's, he's a tribune of Rome, but he has shot through the ranks. I mean, this guy's track record of going through the ranks of Rome is incredible. It, it almost is, is Barack Obama-like. I mean, Barack Obama was a local organizer Bang, he's a senator. Bang, he's a president. Talk about, talk about meteor. Well, Sejanus is kind of the same thing. He has this meteoric rise until he, he is second only to emperor, the Caesar, who right now is Tiberius. And he's taking some people on his coattails. You know, someone goes up, there's coattails. Pilate's one of the governors on his coattails. And just one year prior to this, this particular Passover, one year prior to Jesus coming in to, to the Palm Sunday, one year earlier, Emperor Tiberius leaves Rome for an extended vacation, which means he put the government in the hands of Sejanus. This becomes important. Tiberius now is well over 70 years old. He's burnt out. He's heading to Capri for, for a long extended time just to rest. So now, kind of semi in control is Sejanus who absolutely hates the Jews, which Pilate loves. Sejanus declares that he will rid the Roman Empire of the Jews. They begin an extermination process while Sejanus is in control. Now, Hitler wasn't the first. Sejanus wants to consolidate all of his power and consolidate the military who also hated the Jews. He's actually working on a coup. He wants to get rid of Tiberius, and now he becomes the emperor. What he didn't understand was the Roman legion was not on his side. Word is leaked to Tiberius in Capri. The emperor comes back and Sejanus is gone. Now, news reaches Pilate. He's pretty much in fear. He's on thin ice because he's a follower of Sejanus. And Tiberius now has gotten rid of Sejanus. And he's saying, okay, anybody who was close to him, 
I'm going to watch you carefully. I'm going to find a reason to get rid of you too. So Janus was a traitor, and we're wondering who else is traitors. Now, Emperor Tiberius has an opposite attitude toward the Jews. He didn't love them, but he was a very practical emperor. He's even called the emperor of tolerance, which he really wasn't. His attitude was, keep them alive. Tax them. Why should we kill those we've already subdued? Tax the daylights out of them. He didn't have a love for the Jews. He saw them as a commodity. Keep them alive, keep them working, and tax them. If they die, who cares? He didn't love them, but he was practical. So the rule, the rule under Tiberius is tolerance and tax. That's the order of the day. He sees them as commodities. And he's looking carefully. Who was close to Sejanus? Who governors out there could possibly also be traitors? So Pilate is on thin ice. He's trying to appease the Jews. He doesn't want hassle now because he is really, really following Tiberius to the letter or it's his neck because he was so close to Sejanus. So he bends over backwards. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that Pilate even ceased mining the official Roman coins that so aggravated the Jews. And he, he changed it to a generic coin. How Pilate must have winced at this order. He desperately, desperately wants to keep the peace. The word, remember the word said to he, he gave them Jesus that he might contend to the Jews. Why is a Roman governor contending to the Jews? Because right now you got your answer. Because he was aligned with Sejanus. He's got to keep the peace. He's got to keep them happy. And now he's got a courtyard. You know he's thinking of all times. I do not need this now. How he must have cringed. He goes out on his balcony. And now in all first time of history, he sees this, the prisoner. What's your charge? He's an evildoer. If he wasn't an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him to you. Don't you think Pilate thinks the insolence of these people? You take them, you judge them. It's not lawful for us to put anybody to death. At least they knew their limits. They cried, he's perverted the nation. He's treasonous. Ding, 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 treason. So the Pilate has the prisoner brought to him one-on-one. -on -one. Are you the king of the Jews? It's as you say. Pilate does not need this. Your own people brought you to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world. Riddles for sure. Are you a king then? You are right to say that I am a king. This cause I bear witness. Everyone who hears my voice hears the truth. Pilate's got to think truth. Truth doesn't exist. In Rome, Sejanus is dead because he wanted to kill the Jews. Now the kills want to kill this obviously innocent person. What is truth or justice? It might be just who holds the power. After he says what is truth, Pilate turns his back and goes immediately to the crowd and says, I find no fault in him. Remember Passover story? The authority has to declare the lamb without fault. Pilate goes to the crowd, and here it is. I find no fault in him. And the crowd yells even louder, crucify him. He says he's our king. Remember, Pilate's a politician and a smart man. He realizes Jesus is technically in Herod's race. Inherits jurisdiction. And remember, all the governors are in Jerusalem. Ship him to Herod. Let him deal with this. Herod also was a follower of Sejanus. Let him be on thinner ice. So he ships Jesus to Herod. It's a political move. 
Now, Herod had heard all the stories of all the miracles. Herod was, was not sad. He was glad. He, here is this guy that's doing all these miracles. He brings Jesus in. He says, showtime. Give me a show. Let me see a miracle. Of course, that doesn't happen. Herod, in frustration, just wraps a rope around Jesus and says, go back, Pilate. I don't want you. Yeah, it dawned on me, I'd have been so different. When Jesus rose from the dead, he went to his followers. You know, if it had been me, I'd have gone to Herod. You want a miracle? What do you think of this? So now, bing, bang, boom. Pilate's got him again, and Pilate's on very thin ice. He's got to contend the Jews, and this guy is so obviously innocent. Even Pilate's wife sends him a message. She says, in a dream, I realized have nothing to do with this Galilean. Now my wife is passing judgment. The whole thing has gotten weird and even weirder. I wonder if Pilate thought if only Sejanus had succeeded. If he was emperor, I could send the troops in with their swords and we'd take care of this crowd my way. He doesn't dare. Tiberius is on the throne. I have no charge here. I will scourge him and then release him. They scream, crucify him. Release Barabbas. What shall I crucify your king? And then the shocking of all, the Jews cry back, we have no king but Caesar. When did this begin? We have no king but Caesar. They've, they've defiled everything about Caesar. Now all of a sudden, Caesar's their king. Incredible from the lips of the Jews. I would have to shock Pilate. So Janus was no friend of Caesar. And now he's gone. If Pilate lets this misguided Jesus go, what's it to him? The charge is treason. If he's innocent or not, what's it to Pilate? He's a politician, what a mess. Why should he risk anything just because this guy's innocent? Why should he risk anything? He's a politician. So Pilate says, water. He says, I wash my hands, the whole mess. Do what you want. And they did. So in this drama, a political drama, frankly, the greatest question of all time, what is truth? You know what bothers me? Scripture says, Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? And then he turned and walked back to the courtyard. He didn't wait for the answer. Don't you hate people that do that? You ever have anybody say, how are you? And then you just keep walking on. Wait, wait, I want to tell you how I am. You asked. He asked a question and didn't, didn't want an answer. He just kept moving on. And Jesus had made some pretty powerful statements. Among them, he said, I am truth. How ironic. Pilate is saying, what is truth? Asking the question, who is truth? He moves on so quickly. Jesus is saying, I am truth. He didn't say, I know what truth is. He says, I know what truth. I am truth. That transforms us. Understand at, a, at its core, and we've been talking about its core during, during these last weeks before Easter. Christmas is, or excuse me, Christianity is not a religious structure. It's not a social institution. It's not a hobby. It's not a set of beliefs. It's not a creed. It is basically a statement, I am truth. Our experience with Jesus is there. Everything he says, that he is my savior, he died on the cross, he rose again, he intercedes, he steps into my life. He is truth. That's the foundation. Jesus said, everyone hears my voice, hears truth. Pilate had ears but didn't hear. He didn't wait for an answer. What is truth? And he's gone. And he's standing right in front of truth. 
I think Pilate symbolizes men and women today. Truth is blurred. There is no truth. Truth is relative. If you listen to MSNBC, there's truth. If you listen to Fox, there's truth. They're not the same thing. Truth is whatever you want it to be. If it works for me, it must be true. If it doesn't work for you, fine. There is no absolute truth for everybody. Absolute truth is gone. And when truth is blurred, you're forced with the next question. You ever notice the order? Pilate says, what is truth? His next thing he says is, so what do I do with Jesus? Ain't that the truth? If truth is blurry, we don't know what to do with Jesus. If there's no absolute truth anymore, Jesus gets a little blurry. Pilate's alive and well today. Because since we don't have an absolute understanding that truth is truth is truth, period, non-negotiable, and Jesus becomes pretty negotiable. Abarma poll, buckle up for this. Two-thirds of American people believe there's no such thing as absolute truth. Two out of three people you bump into at Walmart believe that there is no real truth. Here's even worse. Barma research. 53%, more than half, of believing Christians do not hold to absolute truth. We're doomed. 53% of calling themselves Christian do not believe in an absolute truth. No wonder they're fighting the surveys when you can check your religion. The number one thing checked is now none. There's even a book out called The Nuns. It's not referring to two women and a Catholic, Catholic nuns. It's referring to people that check the word nun. Who are these people? Who are the nuns? Well, they lost truth. The first question is, what is truth? The next question is, what do I do with Jesus? Pilate's questions in order are kind of ours. Jesus said, I am truth. When we get there, Jesus is not blurry. Remember this. Truth is not determined by the majority vote. Truth is truth whether anybody else believes it or not. God is God whether anybody else accepts him or not. I choose truth. Pilate missed it completely. We can miss it completely. He missed it because of political reasons. He had to contend the crowd. He had to please them because of his association with Sejanus. He's in a weird political issue. We can miss Jesus for 50 million reasons, but we still miss him because we miss truth. Pilate asked, what is truth? All right, let's answer it. Scripture is infallible, period. Jesus is God in the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, period. Jesus fulfilled every prophecy about the Messiah. He is the Christ. And in Holy Week, he enters Jerusalem to the Hosanna of the crowd and palm branches. We celebrate today, Palm Sunday. Five days later, on Friday, he's crucified. We're going to talk about that Friday evening. Sunday morning, third day, rose from the dead, conquering our two enemies. Because no matter who you are, you've got two enemies. Whether you're a believer of Christ or not, you've got two enemies, death and Satan. He conquers death, and three days later, he conquers Satan. If that had been a third enemy, he'd have conquered that one too. He deals this death blow to our enemies and we are all human race and sinners and sin blocks our relationship with Christ who we're designed for. This week is him forgiving our sins as we ask, as we come to him requiring and desiring a savior and this relationship. And Jesus will return for his church. He will return for his bride, 
He loves us so much he calls us his bride. And all these events around the coronavirus, are we living toward the last days? There are papers that say we might be. I, I don't know. We might be. He will return for his bride, his church. No wonder he said, I am truth. The greatest trial of all time. This morning we've looked behind the scenes at some of the political ramifications and kind of where Pilate was. Why on earth would this guy release an innocent man to a crowd he had no control over? You now you know why. He had to. And now we come and say, thank you, Jesus, that my two enemies have been defeated. Father, we come before you as we worship in our homes, but we still worship. We want to be in your word. We want to learn what's really going on. We want to be there in our, in our minds that we can appreciate what's happening. And when it's all said and done, the one who came in that we celebrate today under palm branches of hosannas, the one that came in, came in that he might give himself in total on a ridiculous Roman cross and three days later conquering Satan once and for all. How Satan must have celebrated when you hung on the cross. He felt like he'd finally won. To be completely defeated for all time, he is out merely on a leash to be thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity. I serve the risen king. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Be with us this week. As we continue in our quarantine, protect us. Don't allow us to go out because we feel good. This is such a, such a tricky virus we could have it and not know it and pass it on. Help us to stay in even though we feel good. And Father, may we begin to heal our nation through this, through this terrible virus. But maybe you have a way of working all things for good. May there be a spiritual awakening and a spiritual healing of our nation. And when we come back together, it might be we've taken for granted the power of corporate worship. When we come back together, may those services be some of the most powerful Holy Spirit-led spirit services that we've ever been in in our entire life. Good days are still tomorrow. And we praise you. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In your holy name, amen, amen.